0: Funny how it be funny like I'm a clown, I like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. I'm a clown. I'm a clown. Rosebud. Rosebud. Yeah, so before we get to anything, before we talk about movies or do what a movie podcast is supposed to do, I have something that filled me with so much joy, my cup was overflowing, as one would say. Would you like to know what it was?
1: Um, no, nah, we can probably move on.
0: You're right. So, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Brendan Fraser won a huge award. I forgot the name of it. Anyway, it typically uh, you're, you you at least get nominated for an Oscar, which is all I care about because I know Oscars don't matter. But we have both professed our or support of Brendan Fraser. So even though we think Oscars may not matter in the industry, they do. So the fact that Brendan Fraser's movie, just the movie is kind of getting mixed reviews, but his performance is getting praised all around. He got a 10 minute standing ovation, which really doesn't mean anything because I feel like every movie gets a standing ovation. So I get tired of reading about it. Point being all of it's an exception because this is Brendan Fraser, man. Brendan Fraser is back, and this is fucking amazing, and I'm so happy for him, and that's my announcement.
1: Yeah, so I didn't actually see this today yet, so he did win like the Best Actor Award at Venice.
0: Yeah, he won. uh, I need to look up the name of the award, because I don't know a lot of those uh, awards, Um, but he won an award that typically means you're going to get nominated for an Oscar. Is that the award? Yeah,
1: um, the whale is the it's, the it's the new Aronofsky movie, right? Do you know anything about the movie?
0: Yeah, I do. I know a decent amount about the movie. Uh, I'm trying to see what. Um, uh, yeah, he it doesn't show me the name of the award anyway, but the uh, the TIFFs he won TIFF. That's what it was. He oh, won TIFF, at, which is a precursor uh, at, award. At Toronto. Yeah, and then he got the standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. But the movie is very simple. I'm sure this is going to be... I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Varanowski, so I'll say that. I'm sure this is going to be pretty par for the course for him. It's about a guy who is just eating his problems and he's gained... He's literally 600 pounds and he's trying to fix his life and reconcile with his wife and daughter. And I'm sure sadness will ensue and the movie will be super bleak and it will be a pretty... A derivative, typical Arabinsky movie. The last interesting thing he did was probably Mother, which a lot of people hated. I really like. I'm not expecting too much from the movie itself, but I am I am expecting a lot from this performance, especially considering the real life trauma that Brendan Fraser went through, and like the real life weight gain and like the issues he went through. I think there's going to be a lot of overlap, which always makes for a powerful performance. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I mean, it, it is, I wonder, is this going to be the typical um, Aronofsky uh, wallow effort, you know, just like wallowing in despair? Because it sure sounds like. It.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it that
1: being said, I mean, Mother, um, I think Mother is that, but it, but it is kind of a, a really interesting work, you know, like you said. Um, well, I
0: mean, I think mother, mother was that to an extent, but I really liked. The uh, I mean, some of them were a bit on the nose, clearly, but I loved like the metaphor and the examination of humankind and the religious metaphor and the the interesting discussion to be had about God and and all that. I thought that was I thought that was that was my favorite aspect of mother, which is why it intrigued me so much. Like, right. uh, I th- I thought it was just really kind of outside the box to a certain degree, especially compared to everything, everything else that has been coming out at that time.
1: Right, right, right. And yeah, I mean. I don't know. I'm interested to see him Aronofsky return to like more human terms. He's one of those directors that I don't necessarily like a whole lot, but like, you know, he works so infrequently that I'm like, huh, I wonder what this is, you know? And this is certainly an interesting project. And, um, I mean, Brendan Fraser, I mean, I think we all have suspected for years that, that there's a great actor there, you know? And I think, um, I don't know, man. I'm really looking forward to watching this movie. Um yeah, I don't know. That's all really all I have to say. Is that I've been I've been catching up on some of the the big contenders for the awards in Venice, and some of them look really uh look really fascinating, and uh this one is definitely near the top of the list. Um there's the other movie where Kate Blanchett plays a um a uh uh conductor do you know about this movie
0: not really i've I've heard i mean i've I've seen things pop up for it but i don't know anything about it
1: yeah there's like she plays like a a conductor like a lesbian uh like film conduct or conductor which I, i think is based on a real person and apparently there's like a lot of like hot button issues like apparently she just like uh, like berates some like young music student for saying that Bach was misogynistic, you know. Um, and so like I don't know, it it it's, it has the potential to either be a huge disaster or like a really interesting movie. And Blanchett obviously always, um, you know, brings it, and people are saying her performance is really great. So, um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff out there, man. There's some I know Frederick Wiseman directed like essentially a fictional monologue that is just uh someone playing Leo Tolstoy's wife and the whole movie is her just like giving a monologue to the camera it's like 60 minutes long um so yeah there's some cool shit out there that I can't wait to uh I can't wait to explore and I might have the opportunity to explore it sooner rather than later
0: if what do what you I mean. mean by that Jacob,
1: <laughs> that, was that, that was,
0: that was a good segue. It's pretty seamless.
1: Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> seamless. Um, yeah. So we had, we do have a little bit of news to announce uh, the silver screen video, or at least one half of the silver screen video. Uh, we officially got press accreditation to the New York film festival. So I will be reporting not live, but I will be uh, reporting from the New York film festival your boy will be going to press conferences and interviewing people and that we, <laughs> there's a lot of potential here. We have the potential to have uh, our biggest guests ever on the episode, or we have the potential to strike out. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see uh, what, uh, what comes to fruition. Maybe we'll have some awesome interviews or maybe we'll have nothing, but either way, I will be reporting uh, directly from the New York Film Festival. Uh, on some of the movies that are going to be featured there, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, we're we're growing up as a podcast, man. That we're this is our first legit uh, press accreditation, and uh, yeah, we're doing it. I'll have a little uh, lanyard that'll say you know Silver Screen Video on it, and uh, yeah, man, we're moving up in the world.
0: And I'm going to go ahead and say this now. In the event Adam Driver comes on the podcast, I will ask him if he wants to replace you and be the permanent co-host. So, I mean, I don't, I don't,
1: you know, I don't think he would. I'm just, I'm just gonna throw that out there. I don't think he will, but I, my feelings won't be hurt if you ask, you know.
0: I think that he's gonna see the potential that we can be really good friends and he wants to hang out with me. And, uh, yeah, then we'll get to just hang out and, and, and have a podcast, me and Adam Driver. So <laughs> sorry, but
1: that, that maybe we'll, you guys will just get to like hang out and be friends and have a podcast together and maybe just like, Maybe just like one night, like, you know, you both have a little too much. No, hey, hey, let's and... just
0: let's just keep it appropriate, pal. OK, <laughs> uh, anyway, no, in all seriousness, this is huge. Uh, Jacob made this happen, people. He uh, he's the one who who applied and uh, gave him a couple of episodes, for examples, even one of them with the great Wit Stillman. So uh, anyway, it's awesome. And I can't wait to see what comes from it. And uh, hopefully. Uh, you get to meet famous people and ask them questions. Uh, I really hope that if you get a chance, like in a in an interview or something, you ask like this really outlandish question that really it, it doesn't have any real context in their life, But because of the sensationalist news uh, that we live in, it just catches fire and it just ruins someone's career. that That's really the ultimate thing that I would love to see come out of this so
1: yeah yeah just a little peek behind the curtain literally the first words out of John's (laughs) mouth after I I said uh I told him this was well we should interview somebody famous and then instantly troll uh the entire cinema going world and turn into a MAGA white supremacist podcast so we get that person canceled and I was just like I your mind I don't know what you know i don't pretend to know how it works and i don't want to um but it is an astonishing thing sometimes
0: hey man i uh i actually you know what i was gonna stop you but then i was like no let him tell the world because uh it is (laughs) the first thing i thought of and i then i thought it was awesome and still do so (laughs) uh
1: i'm what i what i'm thinking about doing is uh is like getting up to the you know uh shuffling up to the podium and being like uh Uh, This is, I'm Jacob Carroll with uh, Silver Screen Video. Uh, Adam, I had uh, one question about your uh, process for this film. Um, Does the carpet match the drapes?
0: (laughs) Dude, like from what we know about uh, Adam Driver, he would either, like there's really only two things that would happen. He would like laugh it off and like try to move on or he would just jump over the table and beat the shit out of you. (laughs)
1: So, right. Honestly win-win.
0: Yeah, it really is. It, it really is a win-win. Um but yeah, no seriously, like I said this is awesome. This is huge. Like it has the potential uh to really uh blow up and uh and get you provide you guys with some more good content as well with uh with some, you know, movie news or, or or movie uh discussions that not a lot of people are having because the movie's not out yet, some cool guests like Jacob said. So I think any of it's uh any of it could it really be cool. So yeah. That's the story, guys, and it's awesome.
1: Yeah, so be on the lookout for that into uh, September, beginning in, beginning of October, around that time.
0: End um, of September. Oh, that's coming up then. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty soon. Um, and um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, follow along on Twitter. Uh, we're at Silver Video. You know, maybe I'll post some, you know, some pics of my uh, exclusive press access, you know, that type of thing.
0: Yeah, like follow him to the bathroom and stuff like that and like see what you can see what you can take a picture of. So
1: okay. Right, maybe I'll pee okay. next to Adam Driver. <laughs> maybe I'll take a little peek, you know? Maybe I'll it's like, Maybe it's like, I'll hey, reach uh, over the stall. Who knows? You know? Can
0: I get it can I get a quick selfie? Look, this whole conversation is gonna become exponentially more awkward in the event Adam Driver ever actually does come on the podcast. So
1: <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah. We're gonna be like, Adam, we've we've talked about having you on the podcast before, but mainly we just talked about how much we want to try to have a relationship with you, a sexual relationship.
0: So anyway, we're going to move on. Um, No, let's stay
1: right here and talk about it in (laughs) detail.
0: I watched something that I was going to discuss last week, but we ended up uh, talking about some television and other stuff. And, uh, and obviously the great Sancho, the bailiff movie. So I wanted to to hold on, but uh, I watched licorice pizza. And, oh
1: wow! You've been you've been yeah. saving this one.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I, I want I didn't want to text about it. I, I figured it'd make for a good movie conversation. So we discussed Licorice Pizza briefly on our top ten of the of, of last year's uh, episode because you had had a chance to see it and I hadn't. It did not make your t- did it make your top ten? I don't remember.
1: It didn't. No.
0: Okay. Well, real quick before I say what I thought about it. What were your thoughts on it again? Like it, was it something that you thought was just okay? Did you like it a lot?
1: You know, I thought it was lesser. I thought it was lesser PTA uh, in the same way that uh, kind of inherent vice was, you know, I think, I think when he, when his kind of, his kind of late period of like uh, uh, making these just like laid back, like LA movies, you know, he, he doesn't really seem to care about, anything like structure or like, you know, anything like that. And like, that's fine. You know what I mean? They seem like, especially licorice pizza, which seems like a really personal project. Like it got talked about a lot at the time, but like, I guess the Heim sister or the Heim mother, like used to babysit Paul Thomas Anderson and the youngest Heim sister looks exactly like the mother did. And so it's like Paul Thomas Anderson is basically like uh like creating his own fantasy on screen you know which like I mean hey what what are you know why be a film director if you if you're not going to do that you know um so I liked it like I thought it was entertaining and funny and like I enjoyed myself but there's always like there's always like a little or there's like a little bit of for me there was like a little bit of like yeah, boy, you sure do love California, don't you? Like, (laughs) like, yeah, boy, uh, the Valley, huh? I don't really know what that is, but we certainly saw a movie where that was in the Valley, you know, like there's just a lot of, there's a lot of inside baseball there. And I'm sure a lot of it means a lot to Paul Thomas Anderson. But as an outsider, who's like been to California once, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I just, maybe I'm just not hardwired to like, be like plugged into this particular uh you know strain of of cinema but i and maybe that sounds like faint praise but it's just i i admire it you know man do your thing but like not everything is gonna like hit home you know at least that was my experience i'm interested to hear what yours was
0: well i mean in terms of the two leads i thought they did such a good job dude hoffman's kid was just rat-a-tat-tat. That kid was on it. He was He's so incredible. good in this movie. Both of them. I, I've never seen her in anything. I know she's a musician. I believe this was her first movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. She was fantastic. I, I, I watched it, and I'm thinking, I don't understand why people were so sensitive about the, I believe, the age difference in the relationship was something some people thought were problematic. And I remember reading about something about the scene with like basically demeaning Asians in some way. Uh, and, and yeah, those scenes were obviously very bizarre, but I didn't, I I didn't see where the movie stepped out of bounds ever. Like some people were like demanding he apologized for a scene. I don't understand uh, because that's what movies are. Like people do shitty things in movies and it doesn't reflect real life. So I didn't right. really, un- I don't really understand the drama there. Um, but honestly, the movie the movie was fine. It was just a movie. Like I I thought, like I said, the two leads killed it, but it kind of missed the mark. It was too long. And the story kind of drug at times. And the whole, like the, I I don't know. I I just had issues with how the love story kind of unfolded a little bit. But in terms of like, just judging the movie on its own merit, it's just like, it was fine. Like, I ha- I'm a big fan of Inherent Vice, so I I can't agree with that comparison. I thought that movie was fantastic, um, but this movie did have it did have some flaws. I mean, it it did not flow smoothly. I thought Bradley Cooper was probably the most fun thing about this movie, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um I don't know. I, now that I'm actually thinking back on it, there was some stuff I really enjoyed. I mean, that whole. The whole Bradley Cooper adventure is really good, and uh, shout out Benny Safti, uh, who just or is that Josh? It was
0: know. it was it was Josh, and he was so good. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know the movie. You know, it oh, it was Benny. I'm sorry, and,
0: it was Benny. Excuse me.
1: Was it Benny? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes place in a bunch of different settings, and you know, I don't know. It sounds like maybe you were maybe a little harder on it than I was. I, I mostly enjoyed myself, but it felt it felt very much like a very like relaxed like you know not every joke lands and not every emotional moment lands but you can tell this is just this is just a PTA fantasy world you know what i mean like the end you know like the romance like if this had been a real movie like if this had been like a i don't know i guess yeah a real movie then this girl would have had to have dealt with the consequences of the fact that she's in love with a 15 year old, you know what I mean? Like, like that would have been like, and I'm not trying to get all age gap discourse, but I mean, there is, I think that is part of the movie. Like, how old is this girl? Like, really? Like, how old is she? How old are we to believe that she is? Because if she's like 26, like, this is weird, you know, like,
0: actually, if she's 20, too,
1: it's weird, you know. Like
0: I thought, I thought she said she was twenty five, but I don't know if that's the case. I thought she was twenty five and he was fifteen, but that could have been like a throwaway line, and she was being maybe exaggerating a bit. I don't know.
1: Well, she changes her age. She says her age is different, like every time oh, yeah. somebody asks her. Like I yeah. think one time she says like twenty five, and then one time she says like twenty three, and then one time she says nineteen. Like, um, so. You know, if this had been a real movie, like there would have been like, you know, like there's a moment where she asks her sister, like, do you think it's weird? I hang out with Gary and his friends. And the the sister is like, do you think it's weird? And she goes, I think it's weird. I hang out with Gary and his friends, you know, like, but then that's kind of just brushed aside. Right. Like, and I don't even really mean that as a criticism. I just mean that, like, if this had been a real movie, this would have been a coming of age story for this young woman who is in this kind of like stage of arrested development, you know, but it's not that it's not that you reach the end of the movie and you're like, Oh no, this is the fantasy of this young boy. I don't mean fantasy in the sense that the movie like didn't take place literally, but I mean like this is more, I thought you think you get fooled into thinking this is a movie about Alana Heim and it's not, it's a movie about the young boy and about this ultimate fantasy he has where he's just like this gregarious child actor and he's going through this like zany world of Southern California. And I think thinking about it in those terms, it, it mostly works, you know what I mean? But again, I just like Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't, you know, I'm sure the Valley was great in the seventies, but if you're not, if you're not tuned into that PTA wavelength, then I think there's always going to be like, this movie is going to hold you at at arm's length. You know what I mean?
0: Uh, no, I, I do. I mean, and, and and I guess I shouldn't have made it sound like I, I enjoyed the movie. I just, it just, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have even gotten near my top 10 last year, the way I thought it was possibly going to. Um, sure. I I do I did find an article when when we were just talking about it's it's entitled like licorice pizza movies concerning age gap blasted as 25 year old dates 15 year old now once you once you watch the movie and and like you pointed out she says her different age a few times um I still like clearly it's a problem but as the same thing I pointed to with with the like quote unquote problematic scenes involving Asian Americans, like it was the seventies and movies tell a story and sometimes you don't like the story, but that's that's just how art is. Um right. So- no,
1: and I, I want to clarify like when I say when I say the age gap thing, I'm not talking about it being like somehow morally dubious for Paul Thomas Anderson to have this as a plot element in his movie. What I mean is that, like, if this were like a serious, you know, movie and examination of this young woman's life, then this age gap would have to be dealt with. Right. It would have to be she would have to confront the fact that it is strange that she is a fully grown adult woman who is hanging out with a child that that, I mean, and, and it's mentioned a few times, like how weird it is, but but we're, we're in fantasy land here, right? Like this is not a real movie. This is a Paul Thomas Anderson fantasy about his hot babysitter from the seventies, you know, like it's, well, yeah, that's that we're in fantasy land, right? Like it's, it's not going to be addressed or dealt with because, you know, this is, this is a fever dream uh, that Paul Thomas Anderson had, uh, you know, on his, after sleeping on this couch for a night or something.
0: And I think that's, some of the best parts about certain movies are moral quandaries. And this necessarily isn't one of those, because as you pointed out in real life, there's no quandary. It's, it's bad. Like she's 25, he's 15. It's weird. Um, but you're ignoring that because it's so, so people, uh, I think the term, I can't keep up with how many terms get coined, but like age gap romance and stuff, that's preposterous because the movie is not fighting for age gap equality in relationships. The movie <laughs> right, is telling right. is telling a fucking fantasy story where these two people give great performances. And I loved how she was constantly questioning herself. And, right, and there right. was that super serious scene you pointed out where she's like, Am I fucked up? Because I hang out with Gary and all of his 15-year-old friends all the time. Like, this girl is bored and she doesn't know what she wants to do with her life and it's clear that her home life is a bit bizarre. And that's how it is. And I thought the exploration of that was really well done. I never had a reason to get lost in the weeds with the age gap romance because the movie didn't really let you. Like, first of all, the movie presents itself I feel like a lot of people judged it without ever having seen it because that's what the internet loves to do. But the movie presents itself early on as this fucking child who is taken like the same way you maybe would have a crush on your teacher as a kid. Like he's taken, Oh, I'm going to marry that girl one day. It's like, no, you're delusional. But as you said, this is a PTA type fantasy. So the delusion because of the power of movies is taken into like more of a heightened reality because it's a fucking movie. So instead right. of being like, oh man, I'm 15 and I'm in love with my grammar teacher who's 25, but that's crazy. It's like, no, this is a fucking movie so it can happen. And I thought they handled that aspect, their relationship, the way they communicated, the back and forth. I thought if you're going to even look at it through the age gap lens, I thought it was handled appropriately. Honestly, like nothing untoward really happened the weirdest thing was her walking around in a fucking bikini and that and that fucking store he had that was weird that was weird in general throw away the age gap it's just like what are you doing and why'd you stay in it the whole night
1: (laughs) right the whole thing is clearly just a uh, fever dream has negative implications the whole thing is just like a it is it's a fantasy like it is it is a complete i mean you know, and a lot of the elements of the movie contribute to that. You know, I mean, the one of my favorite moments is um, uh, where Tom Waits is playing. Um, Did not
0: expect it, that, by the way. Tom Waits was fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, but, but when the movie that they're talking about is real, it's William Holden and uh and the director is, I can't think of who the director is right now. It's not somebody famous, I don't think. But it's like a John Huston type uh, director and William Holden is in it. And there's also a great moment. There's also a great um, shout out to, um, what's that movie we watched? The Clint Eastwood movie. Um, actually, I don't even know if you watched it. The, the one with William Holden and the young girl. Um,
0: oh, yeah. I can't remember the name of it. Damn it.
1: Yeah, but but there there's a there's a pretty, seve- pretty se- severe almost said severe uh pretty big illusion uh to that and like that's the kind of stuff that I really liked in the movie you know like I mean the movie just like takes a break in the middle and we just get to see this guy ride a motor motorcycle in the middle of this field you know
0: yeah dude also Sean Penn did not expect that either because I didn't right. read any spoilers for this movie I had I didn't even know uh I didn't know the Safdie brother was in it either. So,
1: right. I didn't either. I didn't either. Yeah. When I watched it, I didn't know any of that stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just, I don't know. There And there are certain parts I really liked about it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is not, this is not going to make it on my top 10 list. You know, the only reason it came close honestly was because I did see it in 70 millimeter and it just, you know, that experience makes everything better, you know, like just seeing it on like big 70 millimeter film and seeing the flicker and the I remember texting you afterwards and being like, dude, this, seeing movies on film is fucking crazy. Like, you know, like it's such a different experience. And, um but yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of tepid, but I also kind of appreciate it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, man, knock yourself out, make a movie like this. Like this rules, nobody gets to do shit like this anymore, but you do because you're PTA, you know? And that's, that's, that's cool.
0: Well, don't get me wrong. I definitely appreciate the fact that this movie exists. We have that conversation on this podcast a lot to where there's a movie we may not particularly care for um or maybe not like as much as the masses, but we're glad it exists because like that's that's diversity. We want this these these different styles of movies. No one else outside of a few directors can go into a studio, as we've discussed uh, when we talked about Nope. And 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 that's one reason I, I like Jordan Peele in terms of like, he's a name worthy director and we don't have many of those. There are very few directors that A, can do what they want and B, can get people in the seats. So when one of them does something, it's, it's I, I'm glad. Like, I'm glad PTA was able to make this movie. Was it my favorite? No. Do I think people over, was over, like overblown a lot of the stuff in it? Well, yeah, but that's what Twitter and whatever the fuck else on the internet does. But I mean, yeah, I'm glad I watched the movie. I'm glad the movie exists and uh, I'm glad he was able to make it because it was kind of a fun uh, very, I hate to use the word nostalgic because it's a time period that clearly neither of us are familiar with because we weren't alive so it's much different than watching something from the 80s or the 90s but um, it still kind of sucked you in to that time period to where it felt familiar by the end of the movie which I thought was a special thing
1: sure sure definitely and and you know like it may not pass the smell test for you know all the the, the woke moralists out there but like you know just like there are certain <laughs> there are certain women who uh fantasize about older men uh and people you know might be like oh what a problematic age discord test age discourse that is there is a hundred percent uh a male fantasy about being a 15 year old and uh, being able to get with your older, hotter, hot babysitter, you know? Um,
0: I mean, there is clearly a double standard in society that I will, that I will openly say I adhere to, which is if you see the news and a 25 year old PE teacher gets arrested because she slept with her 15 or 16 year old student, It's not that creepy, but if I see the news and it's like a 25-year-old dude slept with a 14 or 15-year-old female student, I'm like, that's fucked up. There's clearly a double standard that exists, and I think a lot of us go by it, you know? So, yeah, this movie is like, yeah, it's obviously a problem, but it's not like it's, I, I don't know. It is one of those double standard things, which is why probably the movie was able to exist in the first place.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I don't think you could. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could. I don't know. But I don't think you could make this movie the other way around. You know, um, it
0: would actually, certainly be uh, less fun watching. Because yeah. <laughs> it'd just be like, this is weird.
1: Right. Like, right. Right. But from like, but a, I mean, that a is a double per- standard.
0: It is. It just is. So,
1: but from like a male perspective, I'm like, this rules, man, knock yourself out, kid. <laughs> like,
0: Oh, absolutely. No,
1: that's like, that's bad. you know, if it was my son, I'd be, I should be like mad that like a teacher took advantage of him. You know what I mean? But like inwardly, I'm like that shit rules, man. Keep on, keep on crushing it, kid.
0: Dude, it's like that SNL skit. But I think Pete Davidson and Ronda Rousey, where she was the teacher and Pete Davidson was on trial. And they're like, so did your teacher have sexual relations with you? And he's like, yes. And he's like, and did, did you tell your friends? And he's like, hell yeah. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) agree with it or not. There's a double standard that exists, but that, that was, that was kind of a funny way to put it. Um, But either way, I have to say real quick, Bradley Cooper, dude, fantastic. When he is being a fucking psycho throwing shit through store windows and those two girls walk by and he's like, hey, y'all like peanut butter sandwiches? It's like, (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about, dude? He's like, you fuck my house up, I will fucking kill you. It's like, I think he said it like ten times. He's like, don't fuck my house up. (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, that that was fun. It kind of made me want to look up about the real guy because I didn't know he was insane. I didn't know much about him. Uh, But he was. He did have a very dark side. Some of it was funny and some of it was not funny.
1: Barbara Streisand's husband? Yeah. Um yeah, there's a bunch of I think I think a lot of the characters are are based on uh real life. And you know, like honestly like like as much as I like kind of like I, I don't know, I'm not criticizing PTA at all, but like as much as I like you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Valley, you know, the 70s, like it does sound like it was a wild place to grow up, you know what I mean? Like L.A. or the Valley in like the 70s. And you've got the the gay politician and Barbara Streisand's husband lives over there and he's crazy. And you know what I mean? Like, it does sound uh, wild. And so I can see why, you know, Paul Tom Sanderson is obsessed with it. But, you know, my 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 country ass can't relate to that shit. You know what I mean? Like.
0: Well, it's it's All like right. watching shit about growing up in New York in the seventies. It was the fucking Wild West, just like right. with just like with that shit. And it's like, yeah, we can't relate to it, but if you do it right, which I like New York seventies movies way more anyway. But it was entertaining. It's just crazy to think the shit that you could do and get away with in that time period. When he when he gets back with the car and it's and he's walking trying to get a, a fucking gas can. And he's like, there's no fucking gas in the car, Gary. <laughs> Like (laughs) some of that shit was so relatable. That's why it was so funny, dude. I just, his, he was a scene stiller for sure. I'm glad he wasn't in it too much because I think that could have tilted it out of like enjoying it a little bit. But it still was a lot of fun to see him pop up and do that.
1: And you know, if you're a kid, you know, if you're Gary, if you're a kid, like, you know, the the Manson murders happened, you know, a few years ago. You know, you're thinking this guy's actually going to kill me. Like he's like, (laughs) I'm actually going to fucking die tonight. You know?
0: And also I have to say real quick before I move on, the most impressive thing in that movie. And I don't know for any of you have, who's never driven a big truck. You may not be able to relate, but I have, and I did relate to this. When she backs that truck down, that was a baller move. That was the most impressive thing in the movie in terms of feats, because that was insane backing that big ass truck down curves and all that. Like it was really, I know that's a dumb thing to point out, but it was truly impressive.
1: No, no, it's hundred percent. Sure. I used to, um, when I used to work as, as a painter painting new houses, I would, I have to drive the truck a lot and like backing one of those big, like, you know, one of those big trucks up or just driving it in general is like a, it's like a, it's like one of the one of those circus performers, like spinning plates on sticks, you know, like, oh, yeah, you got to keep the plates spinning. Like, it's just like and like backing it up is like a math problem, you know, because you're looking at all these different mirrors and like it's just yeah, no, I know what you're talking about like it's just yeah, driving one of those things is uh, is a nightmare.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I thought that scene was really good. But overall, man, I'm I, like, I don't regret watching it. I thought it was good, and uh, and and I would suggest to anybody out there who hasn't seen it and you're on the fence about it, watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free. Check it out. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. Why wouldn't you watch it?
1: Yeah, I think our listener base has probably seen Licorice Pizza. If they haven't, then that's that would strike me as weird. You know, that's a movie that just like yeah, everybody sees the new PTA. You know.
0: Well, I kind of forgot it because it didn't. I didn't get to go see it in theaters because uh, I was traveling at the time, and it was only in theaters for like two weeks. Then I kind of forgot about it, and then it popped up on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago, and it was like licorice right, pizza. Right. I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta watch it!" Yeah. So, um, the movie we are talking about, the movie of the week, you kind of got a bonus movie discussion there. Um, but our our actual movie of the week is a pick from Jacob, "Once Upon a Time in America," which is a big movie, a big, of a, a big movie, a, an ambitious movie, a huge story. And, uh, I don't, why'd you pick it? Did you just want to watch it? Did you want to discuss it? Like, had you ever seen it before?
1: No. Yeah. I, I'd seen it before. Um, I mean, honestly, the same reason why I pick a lot of my movies is simply because, um, I haven't seen him in a while or I haven't seen it in a while and I just want to rewatch it and think it'd be fun to talk about um and yeah that was kind of the case with this movie but then as i was watching it i was just kind of like maybe it was the state of mind i'm in like i'm in my new apartment you know got shit set up and like um i like played like madden for like hours before i watched this movie which was probably not a good idea because then it was like watching paint dry you know like after after like playing on this you know this uh amazing you know uh game system you know Uh, and I don't know, like I, I, like I admire it and I like the movie and it was, it was great, especially once I got into it, but like, I don't have a lot to say about it, which is like, I was like thinking like, Hmm, what's the angle here? You know, like so much of our previous conversation about Mitsuguchi was like, um, you know, what is he doing here? And maybe even introducing our listeners to Mitsuguchi on some level, but like this movie, it's just like. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's Leon and it's, uh, it, you know, instead of a spaghetti Western, it's a spaghetti American gangster movie and it's like four hours long and it does what it says on the tin. Enjoy yourself. You know, like, um, I don't know. I don't know. What did you, you, cause you mentioned pre- just very briefly, I don't know anything about this. You mentioned briefly, you got some, you got a, a couple of hot takes maybe on
0: this. Well, I hate to use the term hot take because I don't feel like I'm saying anything that that's too outrageous, and it's not. I'm not being funny or anything. I legitimately do have uh, probably a, as a self-proclaimed cinephile, I suppose, a bit of a controversial opinion in the cinephile community because a lot of people, if you do any research on this movie, uh, they they basically think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. They think it's his best movie, uh, and and I. I absolutely disagree with it belonging in the conversation for the best, one of the best movies ever made. And I disagree more so that it's even near the top of his best movie list. In my opinion, the movie is beautiful and ambitious, but the movie is flawed. And there's also, before we get to that, let's, let's talk about the history of this movie a little bit. Okay. So he wants to make a two part Six-hour movie. Okay, that was his his goal. His goal was to make, basically, a six-hour film, two parts. But they squashed that. The studio did not want to pay for it because another movie that was also ambitious and also very flawed came out. That was five hours long. That's called 1900. For those of you that haven't seen it, so that yeah, movie the flopped. Bertolucci
1: movie, right? Yeah,
0: it flopped bad. Like, and the movie. That movie, I will also say, isn't bad. It's not like watching paint dry, as some people describe it online. But it's also a movie that misses the mark because it's spinning its wheels a lot. You can tell that someone needed, like an editor, someone needed like a Thelma Shoemaker Sh- kind of person in that in that studio with them. And I think um, that would have helped that movie. But the studio got cold feet about wanting to do uh, a big, uh, like a, a big two parter. So he started at four hours and 29 minutes. And then the distributors were like, no, we're not doing that, cut it. So he managed to cut off about 40 minutes and get it down to the version we watched, which was three hours and 49 minutes. Then, for some un- for some unknown reason, like, I, I don't know what, st- I mean, studios have such a long uh, record of being so wrong about so much shit, but they decided to trim it again without his involvement Put the scenes in chronological order and release it at a two hour and nineteen minute movie. now the reason that is important outside of how it plays into the movie and and the movie history of this of this massive epic film is the fact that was the first version I watched, and it was so confusing to me I watched the, I watched that version probably about ten years ago or fifteen years ago, and I remember thinking this is really bizarre. Like some of this doesn't make sense. Some of it feels like it's very choppy. And then a few years later, I find out, oh, the, the studio did this without the director's involvement. What can possibly go wrong there? So that's kind of where I wanted to start. And I will let you jump in now. Cause I just did a lot of talking, but have you seen the cut version or have you only seen the version we just watched?
1: No, I've only seen the version we just watched. Um, okay.
0: Because I, yeah. so, so I don't know how much you know about the cut version, but the biggest thing is there's, there's two things that can tell you how badly it, it goes. And that is no studio involvement and in rearranging it to where it's chronological order. Cause I do think one of the, one of the appeals this movie has is the order in which the story is told. I think that was a very unique kind of creative way for him to unfold this four hour epic going over three different time periods with a character uh, tackling labor unions and tackling uh, prohibition, which are two massive things in American history. So I do think like as as you can probably put together, if you rearrange that without the actual director's involvement, it is a recipe for a movie flopping and everyone thinking it's complete and utter shit. So the movie was done a disservice even before, it was able to be rolled out into the version that a lot of people now consider to be one of the greatest movies ever made.
1: Interesting. See, I didn't know any of that. I didn't. Um, and reflecting on that, I can't imagine. I mean, God, man, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, you know, the studios just fuck up shit, man. Like, I mean, can you imagine just being like. Yeah, we got this really complicated, intricate story. Um, can you cut an hour out and put it in chronological order? Like
0: <laughs> Yeah, I just it, it it's insane. And to do and, and the biggest thing is I don't know, I'm sure the details are out there, or maybe they're not. I, I don't know. I tried finding them and I, I, I did not. I don't know why they would cut him out of the process. Like, this is the guy you've paid millions of dollars to put this right. period piece together that is just a huge huge accomplishment in and of itself and you cut them out in the fourth quarter so you can chop it to, to shit and just throw it out on the market like that just blows my mind
1: right like you yeah yeah you you backed up the brinks truck to finance this whole production and like yeah you're not gonna see it through in the to the finish line which i mean it, well, I mean, it sounds like an, an easy thing to say, but I mean, it happens all the fucking time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, oh, I mean, yeah, I all the time. But like, y- you know, like it. It. I mean, like <laughs> that's a little foreshadowing of the movie we're talking about next week. Um, you know, why did you let Eric von Stroheim uh, film, you know, 18 hours worth of stuff if you weren't going to let him cook? You know what I mean? <laughs> like.
0: Oh yeah, uh, I mean it 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 completely it completely defeats the purpose of of what you should be trying to do as a studio when you do nothing but muzzle talent. When you don't let them right. just do what they do because that's why you paid them. There's a reason why studios will pay somebody like Cameron a ton of money and let him do crazy shit because they're like it's James Cameron. We're not going to pay you all this money and then give you notes every day of what you're doing wrong. Like that doesn't make any sense.
1: Right. Especially proven talent. I mean, this is, you know, you mentioned it uh, briefly at the beginning, but I mean, this is after once upon a time in the West, after the good, the bad and the ugly, like, you know what I mean? Like this is, you know, come on, what do you, what did you expect t- to happen here? You know, uh, I'm interested. This is maybe, I guess a little like um, off topic, but like, what do you think is his best movie? Do you think it's clear in a way good, the bad and the ugly? Cause I think it's once upon a time in the West. I think that's my favorite Leon movie.
0: Well, personal opinion would be once upon a time in the West. I think not okay. only is that like I'm a huge Western fan. So there are Westerns I put above it, but I think once upon a time in the West <laughs> is, is a truly special Western, a truly special take. And I love the fact, this is what I love the most is we're getting, we got, a viewpoint of the American West, which was a brutal, unforgiving time period. And then we get the viewpoint of being like in, in America during truly hard times, great depression, prohibition, all the shit that went down in between two world wars, mind you. So you're dealing with all of that and you're capturing this as a European, which is crazy. Like, So it's really impressive what he's able to do with with not just Once Upon a Time in the West, but with Once Upon a Time in America. And and honestly, I think I would like this movie better either A, had they let him do his two part three hours and given us six hours of, of story developing material or B, if they would release some of the cut footage because he, I didn't even touch on the fact that he had 10 hours worth of footage and then his, him and his editor trimmed it down to six hours. And then the studio made him trim it down even more as we already discussed. But the point being at one point there was a six hour cut of this movie and I don't understand why we've never seen that. So I think that could change things.
1: Right. It's like the, um, no, yeah, it's like the you know Bergman did that a couple times with scenes, scenes from a Marriage and Fanny and Alexander, where it's like there's the movie version and then there's the TV version that's like six hours long, and you wonder what a six hour version of Once Upon a Time in America would be. I mean, you know, when you there, it, <laughs> it's so it, it sounds completely idiotic to say this, but like a six hour movie can somehow seem shorter than a four hour movie. You know, because a six hour movie indicates that this is supposed to be seen over multiple nights, you know, like a miniseries, like I think Fanny and Alexander's is divided up into six episodes or maybe five. Um, whereas like a four hour long movie is supposed to be seen in one sitting, you know. Um and yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously this is not a very deep thought or it's a very basic conversation, but it's like, what's the best version of this movie, right? What's the best version of once upon a time in America? Is it Godfather part two? You know, is that, and I don't even mean just because the, I guess, I guess I could do, I guess because it's a gangster movie, because it's the length, because it's, um, you know, because it's uh, about America, quote unquote, you know, about like historic times in America. Like, is it that? Because if it's that, then I think part of the, the Coppola magic, part of the Coppola magic is the fact that this motherfucker is an entertainment, like is is good at creating entertainment. You know what I mean? And creating these, you know, at the end of the day, Godfather one and two are like popcorn movies. And that's what they were big budget you know blockbusters for their time and which is not all they are you know but and i wonder like is like is part of once upon a time in america is part of the reason why i don't know i'm interested to hear you talk more about the flaws that you thought but i'm like guy, you know what this could stand a little bit more of this could stand to be a little more entertaining like this gets like Well, you know, I I could stand to, like, be thrilled a little bit more than I already am. You know what I mean? Like,
0: first, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you know this. You just brought up The Godfather. So I don't know if you knew it or or if you did. Either way, it plays into what I was about to tell you, which is he turned down directing The Godfather to make this movie. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if you knew that, but, I mean, that's a huge deal because... This is the story he wanted to tell. So clearly something I, I agree with you. I think Godfather two would have appealed to him more as a story than Godfather one, but there could have been numerous reasons. A, he didn't want to commit if the studio had plans already for us for, for two at least. Cause I know the third one was not in the cards early on. Um, but I know if they had plans for two, he maybe didn't want to do it cause it would tie him up too long, but he met with the guy who wrote this book several times trying to show him that he had a firm enough grasp on America and the history there to adapt his book, because this was his dream from the beginning. Like he was obsessed with this novel. So yeah, he turned down the Godfather.
1: So he turned down Godfather one.
0: Yeah. Godfather one. Yeah.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. If I, re- if I read it right, I'm trying to find it again so I can confirm, but uh, yeah, it was the Godfather. He turned down the Godfather to pursue this movie.
1: That's crazy. I mean, it, you know, I, I imagine his whole career at least in the seventies might've been different if he had made the Godfather, you know? Well, I mean, I mean,
0: not, not just that, but think about Coppola, how different would his career have been without the Godfather? Yeah.
1: I mean, also like, I mean, just cinema history, you know what I mean? Oh, that absolutely. Just like, like we might, there might be some, you know what I mean? Like maybe Scorsese doesn't take off, you know, or get as as much funding for his works as, you know, like, I mean, who knows what the implications of Leon directing the Godfather uh, are. Um, man, that's so, crazy.
0: But before we get into like, cause the flaws I, I'm nitpicking, I, I, I'm nitpicking on a few things. So that, that's not really the meat of the issue or, or, or the conversation. I, I first have to ask you, are you familiar with the theories involving the end of this movie?
1: No, no, not okay. at all. You you can tell I didn't do any research, but no, that's, that's
0: fine. I just, I was very interested. I've, I've been, I was very interested in this movie years ago because it's a four hour crime epic. I love crime movies. I love gangster movies. It's about the rise and fall of wise guys and all that. So I was really obsessed with it a few years ago. Um, so that's why I was wondering, because like I, these theories aren't mind blowing, but they're still very important to the fabric of of where this movie comes down, which is at the end, his his friend who is not really friends anymore, clearly you find out he's still alive. And it was all like, it was, he's like, I've let you carry the guilt for 30 years. He's like, now I need you to like, I need you to do, I need you to kill me. And he declines, clearly. He doesn't do it. So he leaves. And then you have the infamous garbage truck scene, which is where the Teamsters driving the garbage truck. Did they kill him and throw him in the back? Did he jump in the back? Did he commit suicide? Was his was his initial uh goal to frame him for the murder in the event he said no? all they were going to do was find his like mangled body in the garbage. And then they would see him on the cameras going in and out. Like there's a lot of theories and you don't get a lot of answers from the garbage truck scene. And now mind you, for anybody that wants to get into the weeds about any of this, there are dozens of videos on it. You can find a ton of people that know more than I do. So, so go crazy on YouTube or something if you want more, but we're going to cut to the fact that the movie ends. With young De Niro smoking opium and smiling at the Chinese theater. So, a lot, some people, including myself, I do firmly believe this. I don't believe any of that ever happened. And I believe that was an opium dream. And I think that's what drew Leone to make this movie because it was more of his version of of like an American gangster dream, just like he took on the gangsters of the old West. And that's kind of how I fall on this movie in terms of why he wanted to do it. Because essentially it is a retelling of a period in time where gangsters were on the front page of the news every day, very similar to the uh, the, the unbridled violence of Once Upon a Time in the West, because it was the old West.
1: So do you think, are you saying the whole movie was a, was, was a dream?
0: Yes. I'm saying from the beginning, when he says he's at the Chinese theater to like, as soon as it kicks forward, no, I I believe all of that was something that, that De Niro's character dreamt up. I believe he died in that Chinese theater, but that was his dream. He, there was never a flash forward. There was never a time for him to reconcile or go talk to, uh, the woman he loved or any of that, or go, or go talk to his friend who we found out was still alive. I think it was all a dream. Now there's plenty of people who disagree with that, but there's also a decent amount of people who agree with that.
1: Interesting. Okay. No, I like this. Um, no, I like this idea. Now, actually, I was, I mean, even if like, you know, even if, as a viewer of the movie, you can't like go that far and genuinely think that the, the implication is certainly there. You know what I mean? So like, it makes you think, wow, this was like a fever dream, you know, like um, even if you actually don't believe that's narratively what's happening in the movie, you know? Um But no, that's interesting. And it actually kind of leads into, I don't know the question I was going to ask you, which I don't know, maybe you just answered, but like, you know, if, if someone asked me like, what does Leon bring to the Western? Right. That, that previously didn't exist. Right. Um, I guess, you know, you can talk about the specific genre elements of the spaghetti Western, right. You can talk about the long takes, you can talk about how the spaghetti Western is basically the Hollywood Western, but boiled down to its essence, you know? Yeah. And I'm curious, if that's what he's bringing to the spaghetti Western or if that's what he's bringing to the Western, what is he bringing to the gangster movie? Right. Because this is the movie once upon a time in America does not take place, you know, in a world where the movie once upon a time in America exists. Like, like it takes place in a world where gangster movies were like these quick and dirty, uh, 90 minute B pictures from the thirties, you know, Scarface, Public Enemy stuff we've talked about a lot on here, and like, I don't know what do you what do you think? I mean, based on your research and based on just your impression of this movie, like, what is he bringing to the table, or what is he trying to do that reflects, or maybe not reflects, but that builds upon the work of those of those thirties gangsters movies, and what is he doing different, or what is he advancing? Because I think the answer is very clear when it comes to Westerns, but I don't think it's nearly as clear when it comes to the gangster movie, maybe because he only made one as opposed to, you know, four spaghetti Westerns. Um,
0: I mean, unfortunately he did die a few years after this came out. So that is a problem in terms of seeing what he would have followed it up with. Right. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I think you basically just cut to the chase about my problem with this movie. And my problem is he doesn't bring anything that's of interest to me. Like Mm. this is an ambitious movie. Okay. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to disparage an American classic from one of the greatest directors of all time with, with one of the most beautiful mind blowing scores I have ever heard in a movie. Like he, he can do no wrong with the scores he does. And, and by the way, for those of you that don't know, uh and Neil Maricon did the score, so mm. um he he's a god, you know, so anyway, um the ambition was there, the set pieces, the costumes, the capturing of of what the American streets were with the teamsters and with prohibition and gangsters, and all the cool shit that most of the time is going to be the perfect recipe for so many great movies as we've discussed time and time again over the last couple of years on this podcast but all he wanted to do was contemplate and look at regret and 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 just kind of focus on this character's journey that I wasn't interested in I I can't root for De Niro I can't root for th- for for this For this story, there was so there was something so different about the way this material was presented opposed to somebody that half of America was rooting for when the Sopranos were on the air. You know what I mean? Like there was something so different. And I'll tell you, the perfect example I can bring is Frank Lucas is one of the coolest gangsters in the history of crime. And they made, Ridley Scott made a movie, a perfectly serviceable movie called, once, uh, uh, called American Gangster. That movie is missing something. There is a key ingredient that movie is missing that keeps you from going back to it the way you do with the classic gangster movies. And I think this suffers from the same problem is there is nothing there. There is not a hook that allows me to kind of get in to Leone's head and be like, man, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to say about America in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, the way you chose to tackle the Old West? And I think that is the main issue I have with this movie.
1: No, you bring up a great point. You bring up a great point. I think it's I think it's very telling that my that that my central question was kind of the same thing as your central question, and we just we didn't know it. You know, like yeah. <laughs> Um, I think it's very telling that, you know, with a lot of the now, this isn't the case anymore. Because we are so far away from the old masters, as Orson Welles called them of the 30s, 40s and 50s. Um, we're so far away from that, that it doesn't matter anymore. But, you know, for, for, for these people who are making movies in the post studio era, right, the 60s, 70s. And even up until the eighties and you might as well include some of the nineties in that. And this is true for American cinema. And this is very, this is very true for a lot of foreign cinema, especially the French new wave, which is you have to grapple with the question. Okay. Movies have essentially already been perfected. Right. And and, and I, I mean this like conceptually and also kind of, in a true way. Like, like for me personally, I don't think it gets any better than thirties, forties, fifties Hollywood. I don't think we're, we're ever going to improve on the cinematic form, you know, similar to the way that like the 19th century novel, right? Like we're not, we're not going to do better than Moby Dick folks, you know, it's not going to happen. And so like, it's, what do you do with that? Right. Movies have already been perfected. We have this amazing body of work from this, you know, 30 year period. And from this, this point in time and musicals and gangster movies and all these genres and all these, all these great stars and all these great, you know, quite literally, quite literally a, a industry and an art form that took the world by storm. Right. And the world has not been the same since culturally. What do you do with that? Right? What do you do with that? Now you're gonna make movies. You're Martin Scorsese. You're Steven Spielberg. You're Brian De Palma, and you've decided you're gonna add and you're gonna take. You're gonna play in this playground that the old masters played in. All right, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that information? Because if you just remake that shit, you know it's just gonna be like a shittier version of. It's gonna be like gone with the wind in color. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you have to have, and I I think the most successful directors and the most successful films reckoned with the fact that they were entering something that had already been perfected and you've got to do something different now. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Godfather works so well. Like it's, it is not like, it's not this sweet, generis work that just like, exists and is brilliant and amazing it is a reaction to you know the Hollywood gangster movies of the 30s the spaghetti westerns were the same way we just mentioned that like they're they're take the elements of the Hollywood western and distill it stretch the tension out till it's almost unbearable to almost comic levels you know take the craggy face of John Wayne and just just stick your camera on it for like minutes at a time you know what I mean like and and a lot of those directors did this. I mean, Spielberg did, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, tribute to the the serials of that time. And, you know, um, even Kurosawa, you know, and, and Godard and Truffaut, like, obviously, like you have to reckon with the fact that movies have already been perfected in a way. And so what do you do now, right? And I think that is, that reaction is one of the key things that's missing from this movie. Where is Once Upon a Time in America where is it in conversation with public enemy? Where is it in conversation with noirs? Where is it in conversation with New York movies or East coast movies, or, you know what I mean? Where is it um, in conversation with those old masters? And I think the answer is it's not really, you know, and that I think is a bit of a problem because I think at a certain point, you have to when you're when you're when you're making a, a movie that takes place in the time period it does that's supposed to be this big epic gangster movie the question is like you said what are you doing with this right what are you doing with this with this period of time that doesn't need any more movies made about it right like we had cameras in the 30s 40s and 50s and they made movies right like we don't we don't need more 30s 40s 50s content we don't need more gangster movies What we need is something different. We need to know what your intentions are, what you're doing. And I think watching this movie, it was just like, yeah, it's just like an adaptation of a book to take place at this time period. And it like, it works, I think as a movie, but conceptually it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? You know, I know what we're doing when we do Once Upon a Time in the West, right? I know what we're doing when we do Good, the Bad and the Ugly. I know what we're doing when we're doing The Godfather, but what are we doing in this movie? You know, is it just, just a big sumptuous period piece that, which is cool. If it is, you can make movies like that. That's fine. It's a way to make a movie. But when you expect a movie to have just such a, a huge reputation as this like incredible masterpiece, it's like, brother, you gotta be bringing something else to the table other than just like a good story that takes four hours to tell, you know what I'm saying? Well, um,
0: I I have kind of a closing idea on it that I'm curious to see how you react to but before we get to that I want to address a couple of more things because, because my because the, basically the this the summation of what I I think about this um summation's a word right that sounds weird saying it
1: yeah that's a word okay
0: just making sure anyway um, the, the summation of it is I, I, I want it. Cause it goes along perfectly with everything you just said, but I don't want to say it yet. I would rather discuss a couple more things about the movie. Um, and kind of get your thoughts on it before we close it out. But I, I agree with everything you said clearly. Um, first off, I, I'm not trying to sound like one of those people, uh, in terms of, of, of these scenes but I I thought the uh, rape scenes were insane, honestly. I thought that that the scene in the backseat with De Niro, with the woman that he rented this restaurant out for, and they're both clearly in love with each other, like, you cannot do what he made the character do and expect us, A, to believe you even love her, you fucking psychopath, or B how the fuck can we possibly continue to root for you? Like, how are we supposed to feel anything for you other than contempt at this point? Even the driver is disgusted by you, you, you animal. Um, and then the other one just is so weird to me. Like I'm not even morally offended by the other one. And like I was with the second one, but the first one, I'm just like, what is happening in this fucking bank? Like, (laughs) I don't understand what you're doing here. Right. Um, so, so the, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Do you agree with us that that take, or do you think they added anything to the story? Cause I'm not saying you can't put something horrific like that, that adds to the story. That's, that's how you tell the story. But I'm saying in this particular instance, what you added did nothing for the story in terms of anything good.
1: You, you know, the, the rape stuff is tough. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, I, I I'm fine with saying it. The woke people are right on this one. You know, like they, they really are. I think they really are right on this one. Like uh, throughout the history of movies, like since the seventies, since, since we've been able to depict that in cinema, it's really been used uh, very cavalierly, you, you know what I mean? Which is probably, you know, just a reflection of, you know, society's treatment of women or whatever, but like it's. You know that that happens in Saturday Night Fever, where like a main character just like rapes a woman, and then everybody just goes on with their lives. And it's not like a life altering, uh, you know, in- like event for anybody. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah, it's it's just it's just insane to think about it, and like it's hard to get past some of that stuff. Well, I, I shouldn't say it's hard to get past it, but. Well yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's hard to get past it because it's just like, what are we doing here? It, it you know, it's almost like like blackface, you know. I, I don't mean like jokes like on 30 Rock or something. I mean like actual blackface. Like, you know, like it's one of those things. I think rape scenes in movies, especially some of the ones from like the 70s and stuff, where they just don't act like it's a big deal, it's getting to the point where it's like it's not it's not somebody saying the wrong thing or it's not somebody you know, saying the wrong word or doing, you know, it's like, no, this is like a gin uncomfortable to watch. You know what I mean? Like, like you watch the jazz singer and Al Jost and is like painted in black makeup, and he's like, I'm a black motherfucker. You know, like it's like, <laughs> oh boy, that's you know, like I'm 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 not one to like wokeify these old movies, but that's a tough hang. You know, and I think I think rape scenes are getting to where like that, where it's just like, dude, I just, We don't need to see that shit, man. We we just.
0: Well, what did it do? What did it do? You just told the viewer and the woman that you love her. You're so, so, so to show, and by the way, this was controversial when it came out. And and what I'm about to tell you was floated as like, and this is how things were then. I suppose things were obviously very different in the seventies and eighties, but the idea was floated that that was showing how much he loved her. Because he's never going to see her again and he wants her to realize how much he loved her. And if that is your reason for this horrific incident in this movie, I think you have a very wrong idea about love and how you show it. I mean, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us, I mean, certainly neither of us would describe ourselves or think of our way and like that we're watching these movies and critiquing them in an effort to promote, like, social justice or whatever. But sometimes you got to call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you just got to be like, you know what? Maybe Sergio Leone had some fucked up ideas about women, and maybe he put him in his movies, and that's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but, like, it's it happens. People had fucked up ideas about different things, you know? But, like, that doesn't make it any more watchable. You know what I mean? Like, you watch that shit, and you're just like... You know what I mean? It's I mean, it's like watching Birth of a Nation, right? Like Birth of a Nation is like, like the woman um, is being chased by an escaped slave and she jumps off a cliff. And like, it, rather than, I mean, I don't know what fill in the blank, like, you know, there was no indication that this, this escaped slave was going to do anything to her. But you know what I mean? She was so scared of this essentially animal creature that she Committed suicide, and then like the the words come on screen, and it's like she took the noble way out, or whatever. And it's like Jesus, like, what the, like you know what I mean? Like it's oh, it's yeah. tough to watch that shit in retrospect and be
0: like, yeah, I'm all in. and You know, like it's well, I mean, to, to give an example, and not to go back to the Sopranos, well, but I think it fits here the the rape scene in the parking garage is hard to watch. It's a character yeah. you love. I mean, let's thus take like let's just say you don't want to watch it in general is what like I should preface it with that. But if you right. are going to watch a TV show or a movie where something like that horrific ha- happens in the story, it needs to drive the story. It needs to drive the story. It needs to be more than just exploitative or misogynistic. It needs to drive it. And you're absolutely right. We don't watch movies trying to nitpick them from a social justice perspective or any of that. But this, in particular, in this movie with these characters, it, you can't ignore it. Otherwise, you're ignoring a, a massive elephant in the room. The the scene with Melfi and Sopranos drove the story. It, it opened a huge door that the audience had been wondering: would she ever ask Tony to do something illegal? Like it was. Right. It, it did more than that. But that's the that's like the biggest thing. With this movie, it did absolutely nothing. And I would challenge anybody to art to, to prove me wrong on that. Like what did the back see, the, the robbery thing was different. I don't even know if that was, I, I don't know. That woman was in, I don't know what was going on with that. So we'll leave that one alone. But the one in the back of the car was truly uh, monstrous and added nothing to the story. So that was my biggest problem with it.
1: Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, they just, it just happens. And then they act like nothing happened, you know? Yeah, there's uh, there's
0: never a pay, there's never like a reflective moment. Like, and then he sees her. I mean, in in my opinion, I'll say he allegedly he sees her in his head, and the way she acts is just like, I hadn't seen you in like 30 years. Like, you know, she acts a little traumatic. Like, she acts like she was traumatized, like, you know, you fucking monster, like you're just showing up here. But he there's never a time in this movie where he gets self reflective and he's like, man, I'm off fucking piece of shit like
1: right right well yeah especially when you think when you think of like you know i think i think i think leone and i want to speak for him but like i think like you know in his perspective it was just like well this man is so caught up in love that he forced himself on this woman and you know blah 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 whereas like now it's like no if you did that you're a fucking monster you know what I mean? Like you don't just come back from that, right? Like you don't just continue to be the protagonist of this movie, you know? And I mean, it's like it's like the Birth of a Nation shit, man. It's 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 it really is. It's like you know, D.W. Griffith literally is literally like, look at these you know darkies in the Senate. Can you believe it? They're like animals, and like you can't watch it and be like, it was a different time, like you know. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a line that gets crossed where you're like, man, this is fucked up, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I mean it's very like it, it's it's the same thing, oddly enough. It's a it's a line you can draw through to us talking about the the moral dilemma, quote unquote, in Licorice Pizza. Like, it's right. it's something that happened. It was clearly obviously a movie. It was PTA's fantasy, as we've already discussed. But it's something where it's like it was a different time. Let's say she was twenty one. Let's say he was fifteen. Like, is it weird? Yeah. Is it wrong? Yeah. But it's also nineteen seventy five in California. Shit is weird. So that right. you can kind of you can kind of just kind of view the movie through that lens, but you can't do that with this. You can't do that with Birth of Nathan. There's no excuse for it, which is why I had like I wanted to bring it up to see if you agreed, because I'm not a fan a lot of any of, of, of things unless they add to the story. I'm not a fan of anything like that being in a movie or show. They have to really add. And even then, as we've discussed uh, in, on previous movies, including The Last Duel just allude to things a bit more opposed to waiting in the waters of exploitative. And this didn't wait in the waters, this bathed in the waters of exploitative. So.
1: Right. Right. And also like, I just don't trust people to, to, to film this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I, like really, like even, even some of the better directors, you know what I mean? I think there's a reason why we've never, you know, why when, uh, when Kay says that she has an abortion or no, wait, am I thinking of the wrong scene? What's the scene where somebody chases? Oh, that's that's Michael's sister, isn't it? Where she chases him. Yeah. He chases her in the bathroom, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a reason we see that shit off screen. I think it's because if you're a director and you're like uncomfortable showing shit like that, that's a good sign. You know, like, I'll never forget David Fincher. Like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I I know this reflects very poorly on Fincher. This is going to make Fincher sound like a fucked up individual. Like, whatever. But like, dude, you cannot convince me that the rape scene in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is not titillating, you know, or not filmed in a in a way that is borderline titillating. Like, it's just. Oh, I agree. Sorry.
0: Yeah, like, we we talked about that on the podcast a while back. We talked about. Right, that right. And yeah. like that, no, that's what I, I mean yeah, when I agree. like
1: you just can't trust like like you've got you've got Rooney Mara naked on a bed and you've got David Fincher like deciding where to point the camera. And it's like, bro, I'm sorry, I don't trust you, man. You know what I mean? Like you're essentially filming a naked hot movie star. Like I don't, I don't trust you to like sensitively portray this moment. So you might as well just not fucking do it. Cause you're, you're, you know what I mean? You're not, you can't trust yourself. You're going to be a creep, you know? And
0: I, and and I have to say, uh, everyone needs to realize this movie took place in a time where there was no such thing as an intimacy coordinator. And for those of you that don't know what those are, what those people, that position is, that position was created to protect women, in and sexual we or to protect everybody really, but making sure everyone's comfortable and everything is choreographed and nobody goes off of those of those moves because it is for the movie. It is not romantic. It is not a couple. It is it is for the, the show. So in 1984, that didn't exist. There was no right. intimate. There was just it was just Leone with a camera and De Niro in the backseat with this woman and 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 that happening. Um so anyway, I figured you would agree. I just had to bring that up because it was something that just didn't sit well with me. It never has. I've seen this movie three times and it's never it's never worked for me.
1: No, and it's it's, a, it's something good to bring up. I mean, it's a huge I mean, it's a huge point, man, like shit like this used to just happen in movies. And it was just like, yeah, I know the protagonist like raped somebody and he's just going to keep on keep on trucking. You know, it's yeah, it's like
0: up. it's like you said, I oh, just couldn't control how much he loved her. It's actually romantic if you think about it. And it's like, no, I thought about it. It's not romantic. Don't know what's going on here.
1: <laughs> you know, actually I have thought about it and I don't think it's romantic. Yeah. Just, a le- just, just taking a leap there.
0: And, uh, real quick, I know we're running a little long. I just want to say probably in my opinion, the, uh, before we close out the conversation on this, unless you have anything else to add after this, James Woods, dude, this might be my favorite James Woods performance. He was so fucking good. I mean, I'm a big James Woods fan anyway, in movies, not his personal life. But uh, I think he's fantastic, and I thought he he was so good, man. I just uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed him in this movie. Oddly enough, this is not one of my favorite De Niro performances. Not aside from everything we just discussed. I just I just don't know what he was doing. I don't know if Leone knew how to direct De Niro, is the thing. Yeah,
1: I agree with that.
0: So, uh, but I thought James Wood was James Woods was excellent. I thought he was the perfect amount of crazy and vile, and I thought I think it where I think he worked really well.
1: No, I agree. Um, no, I don't. I don't have anything else to add. Um, but you, you did mention that after you mentioned those two other things, you were gonna yeah, yeah, go this full this, circle, and this yeah, is basically I'm to hear what, you, what you're going to say about that.
0: Yeah, this is full circle for me, and I'm very curious to see what you think. This, the, what I'm about to name, he would disagree with this clearly because he is a master. I'm not being biased when I say this. I'm being a hundred percent as a as a movie lover and movie watcher. What he was trying to do in this movie. What he was what what Leone was bringing to this genre we have both discussed and 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 come to terms that we don't know. Did he bring anything we don't know was he trying to? was he just wanting to make a movie about America? Who fucking knows, but a movie that I think does this a hundred times better and captures the essence of it and captures the contemplative uh kind of reminiscing of a main character is the Irishman the Irishman is the better version of this movie. Right. And I don't think that's crazy to say, but I didn't know how to articulate that until a few years ago, because The Irishman didn't exist until a few years ago. But then when you watch The Irishman, and then I'm watching this again for the first time since watching The Irishman, I'm thinking, like, The Irishman is better than this movie in every possible way, in terms of storytelling and character Uh, development, character growth, uh, the audience experiencing something with the character, like uh, questionable protagonists, questionable morals, et cetera, et cetera. It handles it better in every way, in my opinion. So I wanted to see what you thought about that.
1: No, it's, um, I mean, I agree agree completely. I mean, I think, yeah, the Irishman is, you know, more well-made and just the whole nine yards, uh, everything you said. But I also think, you know, you know like i talked about a minute ago i think the irishman which is uh, part of the amazingness of scorsese's genius he he's he's in conversation with himself at this point because he he is an old master you know <laughs> like yeah uh he he you know the irishman is very much in conversation with casino and goodfellas um but those that trilogy in like in and of themselves is they're in conversation with the Godfather and Godfather part two, which are in conversation with the, the thirties gangster movies. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a continuity, you know, it's a, it's, um, and like I said, like you don't have to be in, in conversation with, you know, previous works in that genre. Like you can just make bone tomahawk, right? You know what I mean? Like you don't have to, you, you don't have to, but if you're really reaching for, the upper echelons of cinema, you have to place your work in conversations with, with the old masters. You just do, you know, and the Irishman is a perfect example of that. I mean, from the cat, I mean, casting, I mean, we we could go on and on and on and on and on the way that the Irishman, uh, plays and riffs on Goodfellas and casino and the way that Goodfellas and casino riff on the Godfather and, you know, and going all the way back to the public enemy in 1930, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, the difference is night and day. The difference is someone who, and we've had this conversation about Spielberg too recently, and the the, the 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 it's the same situation with Scorsese. This is a guy who has seen everything from the classical Hollywood era, and he has absorbed it, and his work is in conversation with it and building upon it, and he just. You just, you just got to do that. If you're going to make your bones in genre movies, you know what I mean? If you're going to do, if you're going to do Westerns, if you're going to do, you know, um, gangster movies, if you're going to do, you know, the kind of Spielberg sci-fi, like you just, you just, you, you, if you're going to be a great filmmaker, you have to be in conversation with those. I mean, what is Citizen Kane, if not an update of the visual style of stagecoach, right? It's, you know, and, once by the time in America, it doesn't feel like it's in continuity with anything. It doesn't feel like it's in continuity with Leon's career. It doesn't feel like it's in continuity with the history of American cinema. It just feels like it's a, it's a movie that is pretty good, you know, and that's fine. But to me, and I think it sounds like to you, that doesn't mean it reaches the upper echelons of cinema, you know? Um, So yeah, that that would be my last word on it. I, 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 I agree with, I, I like what you, what you brought to the table here. I think it's, um, I think it's an important distinction, uh, the power of something like this versus the power of something like, you know, Irishman Godfather two things like that. It's, it's a different, different, it's a whole different aesthetic experience.
0: Well, guys, y'all have just heard, um, two normal guys who love movies with a movie podcast. Talk about a movie that a lot of people consider one of the greatest movies ever made and say it's not so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
1: uh, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'll take it a step further. Uh, Sergio Leone sucks. And, uh, I'm going to go piss on his grave later. How about that?
0: I mean, it's, I think it's cool if you can get access to his grave. I don't know where he's buried, but take a picture before you pee on it, please. Cause I'm curious.
1: <laughs> I'll, uh, t- I'll take one before and after.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, um, anyway, uh, for those of you that love this movie, those of you that at least like this movie, let, let us know what you think on Twitter. Um, do you think it was a dream? Do you think that idea is bogus? Do you think it's dumb? Uh, I'm very curious because I know there's, like I said, I know there's people out there that support that theory, but I'm just curious to see what you guys think. Also let us know if we're wrong. Do you think it is actually, are we missing something? Are we not seeing the key ingredient here? Um let us well, know. I'm
1: curious is is this anybody's favorite movie?
0: Yeah yeah, me imagine. too. Like it's so bland, dude. It's like soup that needs salt. I don't know how this could be your favorite movie. But hey man, yeah. to each their own. I mean it's got to
1: be somebody's favorite movie, right? Like I mean it's popular enough that like you know somebody's got it in their top 5, but I'm just like I'd love to hear the case for for it being in somebody's top 5 because there's got to be somebody out there who loves this movie more than anything and I just I don't know. I'd be interested to hear that case because I just I can't really imagine it. You know,
0: I'll tell you the person I want to meet more than that. I want to meet the person who not only has this in their top five. I don't care what number it's in. Number one, number four. I guess I do need to preface that because I need it to be number four at least. Uh I want to meet the guy who this is in his top five, but the movie right after it is Fast and the Furious. That's the guy I want to meet. <laughs> so
1: I wish I wish Letterbox would let you do that. Would let you like search people's top four, you know, like, like in like a complicated, like search of like, yeah, like I'm show, show letterbox. Show me like somebody who has uh citizen Kane and uh, the Garfield remake with Bill Murray in their top five, you know,
0: it would just be fascinating. I'm sorry. it was just, right. I, I want I just want to talk to this person. Right. Um, but anyway, uh guys, Hope you enjoyed the supersized episode. You actually got two movie reviews. So that's, that's cool. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Let us know what you've been watching. If you have any movie suggestions uh, and uh, don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen, but Jacob, do you have anything to add before we get out of here?
1: Uh, No, Uh, just a little shout out for next week's episode. A little preview greed. Is it good? Possibly.
0: Also, why don't you tweet that link out? If you guys want to watch it, uh, uh, you should uh, you should tweet it out because it's on YouTube. Um, Oh, that's
1: right. Yeah. And just to to let you guys know what we're talking about, we're going to be talking about Eric von Stroheim's greed uh, next week. Not the four hour long TCM version that is essentially a slideshow uh, that's reconstructed, but the original release version, which is about two and a half hours long. You can only get it on YouTube, and it's not very great great quality, which is really sad. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a great movie, and I'll, I'll tweet it out, and uh hopefully hopefully me tweeting it out doesn't get doesn't get it like taken down. You know, um,
0: that's actually a good point. If you want to watch the movie, message us on Twitter, and and yeah. Jacob will send it. One of us will send it to you. Yeah, yeah we're yeah, not yeah. going to. That's tweet a good it idea.
1: Yeah. um but yeah, just a little preview for next week. It's uh, I, I wish we could talk about it under better circumstances. I wish it was on like you know Criterion Channel or just rentable or something. But it's just such a you know it's just so hard to get and it's such bad quality. But it's a great movie, really one of the classics.
0: You know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. So, okay, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode, and uh, we'll see you next week at the Silver Screen Video.